0: Good evening everyone On the even calendar days I normally give a talk in English If there are English speaking people to listen So tonight Seeing as how there were no English speakers I thought I would talk in Thai But at the last minute I found a couple of English speakers So everyone gets treated to English tonight. (laughs) When people first approach Buddhism, the first thing they notice is the Buddha. Of course. That's how we first Uh, approach the teaching of the Buddha is by examining the Buddha or by seeing the Buddha. And often this comes about by seeing a Buddha statue, a Buddha image, seeing people worshipping or bowing down to the image. And this is as good an inroad as any But like many aspects of the Buddha's teaching, it's something that is very easy to misunderstand. So as with all aspects of the Buddha's teaching, the most important is to have a teacher, is to have someone who can explain the meaning, the correct meaning, according to what the Buddha actually taught. The Buddha didn't teach us to create images, Great statues of himself. This isn't what he taught. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with having a Buddha statue, but it's important that we understand the meaning of, of what we're doing for Buddhists and non Buddhists alike. The Buddha was, as we're most, most of us o- familiar, A prince Before he became what we call the Buddha He was a prince Living in luxury in what is now Nepal Or on the border of Nepal and India And he lived a life very similar to many wealthy People in the modern age Having whatever food he chose getting all the entertainment he desired, having always comfortable, uh, beautiful, enticing, intoxicating, pleasing things surrounding him. He never had to work, he never had to slave away in the fields or work in a mundane job. He was a prince, he was of the wealthy class. And probably like many in his time and and in his position, even in the modern age or throughout history, throughout time, this sort of um, immersion in luxury and the sort of spoiling of the the potential of the human uh, status, the human condition, left him terribly unsatisfied. He had everything that one could possibly want, and yet his wants were never satisfied. Because as we know about pleasing things, they lead to nothing but addiction. We're addicted to drugs, we're addicted to alcohol, but we're also addicted to pleasant things, pleasant sights. We want to see beautiful things all the time. We're addicted to beautiful smells, beautiful sounds, we want to listen to beautiful music all the time. Beautiful tastes, we want to eat good food all the time, and we find that we're never really satisfied. I mean, these things never really make us happier in general. You can say you're happy when you get what you want, but you can't say that these things really make you happier as a human being. They really satisfy you. If this were the case, then we wouldn't see rich people taking drugs or uh, alcohol or so on. We would see rich people in total peace and happiness. And yet we see a good, good example that's in the news, uh, sort of a quasi-Buddhist news, is Tiger Woods, whose mother is Buddhist and who claims to have been practicing Buddhist, some Buddhist teaching. Terribly unhappy, And how addicted he became to You know, the wealthiest sports uh, uh, Athlete in the world And You know, just a, a beautiful wife A wonderful family and home and everything And completely unsatisfied And it's led to great suffering for him As we can all see So this was the state that the Buddha found himself in This is who the Buddha was We want to understand it's important, it's very important Because the Buddha is the best example we have For what we're trying to do as Buddhist meditators That's why we make images of him Because he's an example He's not a god And I think that should be clear as I explain who he was He's not someone we worship He's not someone we pray to Or wish, ask for things from someone we respect and venerate and try to emulate as much as possible as best we can and so we have images we don't need images, we like images and it's very helpful for ordinary people who tend to find it useful for them to quiet their minds when they think of the Buddha when they see him it's kind of like having a for some people when they're still growing up they still need like a father figure you could say it's of course not necessary, and you don't see monks off in the forest carrying big Buddha images around with them. When you go off in the forest, you don't need a Buddha image. You're practicing the Buddha's teaching. And for all of us, when we're practicing the Buddha's teaching, this is what the Buddha said was most important. And this is what I'll try to get to tonight, to talk about the other important things in Buddhism. It's not just the Buddha. Though the Buddha is very important because he's the greatest example we have. So this is the example that for all of us, we can very easily uh, sympathize or empathize with the Buddhist condition in the modern age, where we all have our, um, intoxica- our addictions, you know, these things which we're very much intoxicated by, these things that we say make us happy, but in fact are leading us to real states of discontent, dissatisfaction, looking for something greater, something beyond something that's really going to bring us peace and happiness and freedom from suffering. So the Buddha left home, and this is, we've always heard about how the Buddha left home, he had a wonderful wife and a new son, and he left them. He didn't leave them thinking that he'd be gone forever, he left them thinking he would find the truth because it was clear that this wasn't going to uh, come from staying in the palace or becoming king. In fact, he saw that if he became king, it would be only a corrupting influence. You can see politicians nowadays. They might have even been nice people before they became politicians, but you can see how power corrupts. And it forces you into situations where you have to make decisions that you wouldn't otherwise make and commit yourselves to things that you wouldn't otherwise commit yourself to meaning things which are uh, evil, you can say, or or unwholesome, corrupt. And so he left. He left to follow after the monk's life. This is another inroad that people often make to Buddhism when they see the monks going on for alms round in the morning. Even here in America, the monks will go out in the morning on alms, collecting food, from the local people Or the local restaurants and This is what the Lord Buddha saw He saw a monk Not a Buddhist monk of course There was no Buddhism at the time But he saw a, a monk of sorts One who stays alone in the forest And he thought that's an interesting Sort of life At that time in India It was very much uh, uh, Accepted for At least for men in the beginning Before the Buddha came Women didn't often uh, go off into the forest to practice meditation. Nowadays we see that even in traditional Buddhist societies it's mostly the women who come to do practice meditation. So we're seeing uh, something a little bit different. But at that time you can think of India as being sort of a dangerous place. Even today it's very dangerous. Even for monks. I know of a monk who got robbed down to his underwear, his his lower robe um, staying off in the forest of in, in India So it's not safe even for, for, for monks So those times you would have these Men going off into the forest and, and practicing meditation And so that's what the Buddha did He went off and started practicing meditation The Buddha to be And he practiced various types of meditation Which are calming You can say tranquil These kind of meditations that you see everywhere. And this is what we normally think of meditation, is that it makes you calm. It quietens the mind down. You can see as we sit here, our minds are anything but calm. Our minds are going, chasing after so many different things. Things that we have to do next, things that we did already. Feeling bad about bad things we did, feeling good about good things we did. Thinking about what we're going to get next, what we're going to do next maybe liking what, what's happening now, not liking what's happening now. And so we often think of meditation as a way to relieve that temporarily, to go off and sit and be quiet and have a, a very focused state of mind, very quiet state of mind. So he practice these meditations, it's kind of an escape from reality for a while. And he realize that this escape from reality is always only temporary. You work so hard to become peaceful inside, and it's like a physics equation. However hard you work, that's how much benefit you gain. The Buddha called it Sankhara Dukkha. It's still suffering, it's still stressful, because you have to build it. Sankhara means you have to form it, you have to work at it. And when you stop, it disappears, and then you're left dissatisfied again. So he left these teachers that he had who taught this tranquility meditation and he went off and he came to understand that, that he had to look at reality and come to understand reality and this is where we get the four noble truths and this is the Dhamma this is the second important thing in Buddhism. So I'm going to leave the first one behind now and start talking about what is it that he realized which is called the, the Dharma you say in, in Sanskrit. We hear this word Dharma Because as I said, the most important thing in Buddhism is not exactly the Buddha, it's what he taught. It's the, the practice or the teaching. And so this is what we generally know about Buddhism, is that it's, they teach meditation. You want to learn meditation? Go find a Buddhist. Because that's what Buddhists do. We practice meditation. <coughs> we always stress that we're not, we're not worshipping the Buddha. We're not here just to Praise the Buddha or say how great he was Or how great his teaching was We're here to practice This is how Buddhism is Quite a bit different from many other religious traditions Buddhism is useless to you Useless, it's meaningless It's not Buddhism If you're not practicing If you're not working If you're not doing as the Buddha explained to do It, It does you no good if you worship the Buddha or say I'm Buddhist or say I uh, believe in the Buddha I believe he existed and I believe he's the Buddha and so on it does you no good it might do you a little good if it makes you feel happy I mean this is this is what faith does no when we talk about faith based traditions it makes you feel very peaceful and happy to believe but it's not Buddhism Buddhism is not a belief it's not a faith Buddhism is a practice it's a path And it's a realization that comes from the path. That has nothing to do with the Buddha. You don't realize the Buddha, you realize the Dhamma, his teaching. And this is where, another point where people often enter into Buddhism, when we talk about the four noble truths. So when we, if we ever study Buddhism in the encyclopedia definition, we'll always come across the four noble truths. And as I've said before, the first noble truth is... uh, They always say the first noble truth is that life is suffering And that's not true, please don't quote me on that The Buddha never said that I mean I've never come across any place Where the Buddha said specifically that life is suffering That's not the first noble truth It certainly is not the first noble truth It's not the view of the Buddha as far as I understand Life is suffering is is, is not the first noble truth The first noble truth is that there is suffering Suffering exists Because this is why we suffer We ignore the truth We run away from the truth We do anything we can To stay as far away from we, as we can From the truth of suffering When suffering comes We're always in denial We're always trying to find a way To not have to experience that experience When we have pain in the body, we don't want to experience it. We want to run away, we want to change our position, or uh, go see a masseuse, or take a pill. Uh, Something, anything that will get rid of this feeling of suffering. When we feel sadness or depression, we want to take drugs or alcohol. When we uh, feel stress or anxiety, we want to take a sleeping pill. And so on. We have all sorts of Prozac and, uh, and, and all of these drugs now that, that they're just coming out with studies saying that they're useless, or even worse than placebos. They'd be better if you just took a placebo. you'd have better results, they say. This is because this is, these are diseases of the mind. The, the, the problem is our, we're, we're not looking at the problem the problem is we're not paying attention to what is the real problem we don't know anything about it put it simply the problem is we haven't a clue about the problem it's like you have a sickness and you don't have a clue what the sickness is how could you possibly diagnose it how could you possibly cure it if you don't know what is wrong with you you know you don't you you, you feel bad and you got all these medicines in front of you or you've got all different kinds of food and you don't know what the sickness is. How do you know what food to eat? How do you know what food not to eat? How do you know whether to, to take this medicine or that medicine? <coughs> so this is the core, of the, the key of the Buddha's teaching. If you want to understand what is it the Buddha taught, he taught us to look at the problem, to look at reality, not just the problem, to just look at reality and come to see it in its full spectrum of experience. Because clearly some parts of experience are going to be undesirable. They're going to be things that we don't want to look at. But the curious thing is that the more we run away, run away from these experiences, the more painful they become, the more stressful they become. And this is what we don't see. We don't see that it's actually our attachment to certain experiences that is the cause of suffering. It's our partiality, our inability to accept all of the full spectrum of reality that is the cause of suffering. This is the second noble truth. That the surprise is that none of these things are really suffering. This is why life can't be suffering. None of of these things are really suffering. None of these things really have the power to hurt us. Pain in the legs, pain in the back, pain in the head, pain in the heart, Stress, anxiety, fear, worry Sadness and so on The only reason that these things can really hurt us Is because of our attachment to them Our aversion to them And so we either act out upon them Doing something nasty When we're angry Or chasing after good things When we're greedy Or we want to run away from them We repress them. We find a way to escape from them. We never look at them. We never come to understand them. And so the way to become free from suffering, freedom from suffering, is simply when we have no no partiality. Our uh, ability to accept reality. People often like their partiality. They think, It's good to be attached to certain things. We say being attached to people, for instance, and we say, well, what about relationships? And I always have to give this explanation when I give this talk about the Four Noble Truths is that uh, relationships are always composed of two things. One is love and the other is attachment. And they're two different emotions. Love is where you wish for someone else to be happy. You say, how can I make this person happy? It's a positive emotion. There's nothing wrong with love. But attachment is where you say, how can this person make me happy? Where your thought is that you wish for the person to make me happy and you're, you're looking for something from them. And this is negative because if I'm attached to you and you're attached to me, then we're both only looking out for our own happiness. We're always trying to get something from someone else. So this is why our relationships always fail, whether it be friendships or partnerships, whether it be family relationships, our uh, selfishness, our, our desire for other people to make us happy all the time, give us what we want, make us please us. This is what leads to suffering. This is what leads to uh, breakups, even breaking up of families. So this is a negative one, and this is what we're talking about here. This is the cause of suffering in all ways. So the cessation of suffering is simply when we accept reality for what it is. Because the reason why partiality is no good is because we can never always get what we want. We can never change reality to be other than what it is. When a painful experience arises, it's there. And it's gonna be there for a little while. It's gonna be there for its allotted time. All we gain by running away from it is more and more stress and suffering because we can never p- hope to uh, cure it. We can never hope to make it so that this situation never arises again. In fact, our, our simple, simply running away from it is a stress. It's something that takes us away from reality, takes us away from nature when in reality these experiences are neutral, are, are simply real. So this is, the, the, the third noble truth is simply this, that we, instead of running away from the experience or trying to be free from whatever it is that's causing, we say is, is painful, we change our mind about it. We come to understand it and see it for what it is, and we do away with this um, partiality this, needing for it to be something other than what it is. And this is the fourth noble truth, is this path. And this is the meditation. This is the most important one, really. Because the rest are just theory. Okay, you can agree with me or disagree with me. Is there suffering? Does suffering exist? Well, yes, we know suffering exists. But what is the cause and what is the cessation? Well, that's just theory. I can say freedom from... Craving is, is is this cessation of suffering. But that doesn't help you, that doesn't help the meditator, that doesn't help the individual deal with their stresses and their suffering. So we have this path. We have this path which allows us to see things clearly. And it's a path which can be performed by anyone. It can be done anywhere at any time. Here we are sitting, you're listening to me talk, and life's going on. You know, we, we think when we come here that life sort of stops. It's kind of taking a break from real, the real the real life. I always get a kick of how we think of the world out there is so real compared to the world in, say, a meditation hall, where we go out and work these jobs for pieces of paper so we can have all the things that we want, and so on. But it's going on here as well. You can see your body is is functioning as it normally would. Your mind is functioning. There are still sights and sounds and smells and tastes and feelings and thoughts. Experience is going on. And some of the experiences are pleasing. Some of the experiences are displeasing. And so there's all sorts of emotions coming up as as well. There's all sorts of attachments and clingings and likes and dislikes. And so what we're doing in the meditation is simply studying this, studying the process of reality, process of experience as it occurs. As we sit here, what is it that's really causing us suffering? What is it that's really going on And by extrapolation, what is it that causes me suffering in my life? Why is it that I get angry sometimes, or stressed sometimes, or worried, or greedy, attached, and addicted, and so on? And so we look and we're going to start watching reality. And how we do this is we have a tool Meditation, the work in meditation would be nothing if it weren't for the tool. We always need a tool when we're going to do work. And our tool in meditation is called a mantra. And the mantra should be very familiar to to most of us. We always hear about these, this mantra, the idea of a magical word or a sacred word that fixes and focuses the mind, and that's meditation. There are many mantras that people use to fix and to focus the mind, but here... We don't have any specific mantra. We're going to use this concept of a a special word and we're going to apply it to something very special, which is reality. This thing which we are very disinterested in ourselves. The thing that we don't want to have anything to do with here and now, the reality. Our everyday experience, something that we find very uninteresting. Displeasing, in fact. Something which we find hard to endure at times. And so we're going to apply this mantra to these things. And we're going to see what happens. And in fact, the secret is, the the wonderful, wonderful secret is that it fixes everything. It cures all of your problems because it helps you understand them and let go of them and see them just for what they are. So, for instance, you're sitting here and you feel pain. Pain in the legs, pain in the back, pain in the head. Normally this is intolerable, intolerable. Uh, Something we can't tolerate. Uh, And so we find a way to escape it. We're probably thinking about when's it going to be over and how can we get out of here and so on. Instead, we're going to look at this pain and and watch it. And we're going to remind ourselves. We use this mantra to remind ourselves it's just pain. So we say to ourselves in our mind, pain. Just a simple word. It's a mantra for us. We look at the pain and we say, pain. Whereas normally we'd look at the pain and we'd say, bad, getaway, wrong, problem. We have all these words and thoughts and concepts. Well, here's the, the word, the thought, the concept for us is pain. Normally that's a bad thing. That's something that we say bad. Now we're just going to focus on it and say to ourselves, pain, pain. Pain, pain. If we feel stress in the mind, we're going to do the same. All of our problems we can fix. It's a very simple technique and it works. It works like a charm. Because it helps us to see and to understand. If we feel stressed, we say to ourselves, stress, stressed." And we do something very novel here as we learn about Stress something that we haven't a clue about before. We just know that we're stressed, bad. Gotta get rid of it. And the more we say gotta get rid of it, the worse it gets, right? The more stressed we get. Like these people, the clearest, classic example is someone who is an insomniac. If you've ever been an insomniac, you know what I'm talking about. Gotta get to sleep. Uh-oh, now I'm all stressed out. I'm never gonna get to sleep now. Gotta stop stressing. Stressing is bad. And you start stressing about your stressing. And then you know that you're stressing about your stressing, and that makes you more stressed and worse and worse until you're up all night. Your mind gets totally whacked out until you finally fall asleep from sheer exhaustion. So here we're, we're coming back to just to know that it's stress. We say to ourselves, stressed, stressed. Yes, I'm stressed. When we're angry, we say angry, angry. When we want something, we say wanting, wanting. Just focus on the focus on the emotion, focus on the reality of it. Try to see it for what it is. This is the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. And of course it's not exactly that simple. I mean it is and it isn't. It's not that simple in that it takes a lot of work. And the only reason it takes a lot of work is because we've been doing something very, very different for a long time. And when problems come up, we're pretty quick to freak out about them, to get upset by them. It's kind of difficult to remember to actually just know it for what it is and see it for what it is. In fact, it doesn't seem that useful or or interesting at all. It's certainly not how we've dealt with things in the past. And so it's like lifting a very heavy object out of the mud. It's something that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. And so we have this practice of meditation. But all it means is watching reality. We start with a very simple exercise because we're trying to train ourselves to be able to do this. We can't easily do this. We want to be mindful, but it's quite difficult. So we have an exercise. When we're sitting here, we'll be sitting with our legs crossed. And we're just going to try to find a very simple object, something that's happening, that's always happening, and that we can use to start to practice on. Right? It's a practice. So we can learn to be able to Remember things for what they are Remind ourselves of the reality of the situation And this one thing that is always there And is very easy to grasp onto Is the breath In this case, the stomach The one part of our body that's moving Should be our stomach If we're at all relaxed We should be able to feel the stomach rising And falling as we breathe In and out When the breath comes into the body, the stomach rises. When the breath goes out of the body, the stomach falls. Rising. Falling. If you can't feel it, you can just put your hand on your stomach and you will feel it. It is there. It's kind of, maybe kind of difficult for people who are stressed, have stressful jobs and so on. But how we practice this, okay, so when the stomach rises, we just say to ourselves, rising. Rising. And when it falls, we say to ourselves, falling, falling. falling. Rising. Falling. Rising. Falling. And we use this as sort of a base. It's a way of Uh, intensively uh, sharpening or practicing training our minds. And once our minds are, once you are really good at this you can use it on anything. Then you can really hit the bad stuff. Then when there's pain you can just simply say to yourselves pain, pain, pain. And the mind won't, won't cling to it. As your mind is focused it's, Your mind is, is fixed, is strong And you'll be able to see the pain for what it is And you'll see that it's actually just a feeling It comes and it goes And you'll change your mind about pain in general You'll do away with this Intense aversion That we've built up and built up As I said, the more we Run away from it The more we build this up Though finally it's so unbearable That we just can't take it We're going to undo all of that We're going to come back to It's just pain Oh, now my body's Telling me something It's no longer something That you have to Go running for a doctor Running for a painkiller When we have emotions in the mind We'll be able to Transfer it onto them So we're rising, falling, but then this comes up an emotion in the mind, maybe we're angry or bored or sad or worried or depressed. We can fix and focus on those ones. Switch and go to those. Angry, angry. Just focus on it. See, anger isn't that big of a problem. It's painful. It's not a good thing. And all the more reason to learn to understand that it's not a good thing, but it's okay to just sit there and be angry. The problem is when we're not mindful of it, when we're not uh, reminding ourselves that it's just anger, it's not a big deal, uh, you don't have to do anything about it, that we then go and do something about it. We have to say bad things or do bad things, hurting other people, hurting ourselves, creating suffering, creating uh, things that we'll feel bad about in the future. So when we're angry, we can just sit there and say to ourselves, angry, angry because it will eventually go away it's not going to be there forever and it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable but as you get better at this it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't last it's something that comes and goes as you get better and your mind gets stronger and your mind starts to give up these more of these emotions more and more you find it doesn't come nearly as strong eventually you can be free from these kind of emotions this is what it means to be enlightened. This is the when we talk about enlightenment in Buddhism. It's nothing really mi- mystical or magical. It's just letting go. It's giving up negative mind states. So we don't have to, feel, have to ever feel angry or depressed or sad again. It doesn't mean we go off into some special state of reality. We're here in this reality. But we're here, really here. We're very present. We're not always running off after our emotions. As a funny thing is, when you start to like things or dislike things, it doesn't bring you closer to the object. It brings you away from the actual object, the actual reality of it. It brings you into all sorts of thoughts and ideas and views and opinions about what should be done and what shouldn't be done and so on. When there's really nothing... Nothing at all very complicated at all To the reality of the situation There's experience Coming and going Arising and ceasing And so this is the Dhamma That the Lord Buddha taught He taught us to practice this This is a very simple practice It's called mindfulness It's something that Leads you to see things clearly understand every situation, every problem that we have clearly and be able to assess it and deal with it in a rational, calm, clear manner without getting upset or without you know, falling into stress and suffering. So this is the second important thing in Buddhism. The third thing I'm not going to go into but I'll just say what it is. It's the people who practice. There are three important things in Buddhism. There's the Buddha, who is the greatest example uh, on Earth of a a meditator that you could find. The Dhamma, which is the teaching, the meditation teachings that he gave that allow us to uh, become free from suffering. And then there's all of us. This is the most important thing, or another you know the The third most important thing in Buddhism, one of the three most important things is all of us that without people practicing it's really meaningless without the actual meditators it's uh, it's not really Buddhism, and when we do practice, the most important thing for us is ourselves. It's applying the Buddhist teaching to ourselves, which just means. You know, learning, coming to understand ourselves. Doesn't mean accepting any dogmas or beliefs. It means looking at things like our stomach, rising, falling. Really and not a very dogmatic belief. You don't have to believe anything. Your stomach is there, you know it's there. So we just watch it and remind ourselves of what it is, creating this clear thought and clear awareness. And we come to see many, many things about ourselves. We come to do away with many unpleasant, un- unwholesome states of mind. Irrational behavior. It's all irrational behavior. It's based on ignorance and misunderstanding. That's the only reason why we suffer. It's, it, it's an axiom that, that wise people shouldn't suffer. You couldn't call someone wise if they, if they did things that caused themselves suffering. So in that sense, all of us are simply unwise. We're doing things contrary to our own best wishes. Our best... um, Contrary to what is best for ourselves. And the only reason we can do this, you can say, is because we're lacking in wisdom, lacking in understanding. If we understood, we wouldn't do it. So when we understand, we don't do it. And we become the sangha, which is the third most important thing in Buddhism, the people who practice. So I think that's enough talking for tonight. And now we'll continue with our regular meditation session until 9 p.m. So I ask everyone to first do Mindful prostration and then walking and then sitting. Starting.